94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. We have now on the line the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Hawaii, that is Dr. Josh Green. Woo! Good morning, sir. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, we, we want to jump right into this thing with the cases, uh, new cases of COVID-19 edging up. People have been looking at, you know, this surge of visitors coming into Hawaii uh, with spring break, et cetera, and the, and the cases edging up. Uh, positivity rate also edging up just a little bit. What is happening here? Are you concerned? Uh, yeah, I have a, a healthy amount of concern for the cases going up. It really has not been spring break related so much because that's too soon to see a spike. Mm. Actually, it's been the fact that I think people are letting their guard down just a little bit because we've had success vaccinating people. We've now done a total of uh, 600, I'm sorry, 568,376 shots in the state level and another 102,000 from the military. So we're at 670,000 shots delivered. And I know that that gives people a sense of, okay, we're a little safer, but we still have you know, well more than half of the effort to go. And we did 74,000 shots in the last seven days, but not everyone is immune yet. So you're going to see spread if we have large gatherings. And I think that we all have heard the stories of, you know, a thousand person gathering here, or a 750 person wedding that was underground and got done. Mm -hmm. Well, those are going to be significant risky events. So I think that we have to kind of tighten up a little bit again, just to be safe. Don't take risks. Definitely wear masks and don't have big gatherings. But come May 1st, we will have finished a million shots in the state. And I do expect the, the numbers to fall off really steeply once we're that safe. Mm. That's great. With that surge of visitors who have been coming in, though, you know, there has been some concern. People have been saying that they've been seeing a lot of them coming in, not being aware that Hawaii has a mask mandate. A lot of them, you know, not social distancing. And I guess the question is, you know, are are we concerned still about the visitors coming in? How many are arriving? How many are quarantining? Who's making sure they're quarantining if they need it? Um, and who's enforcing mask mandates for them. Um, what kind of effort is happening on the state end? Well, it's the same effort, and it has been extraordinarily effective. Remember, you would not see any result of, uh, you know, the last 10 days of people coming in yet. So we're still doing what we've needed to do, which is to have the Safe Travels program screen everybody, and it screens everyone. Uh, there are always a few people that don't meet the criteria, and they go uh, get placed into quarantine, a lot of those people just turn around and go straight home when they realize that they're at risk. Do some people break quarantine? Of course they do. But it's a very small number, and they are asymptomatic. They have gone through the you know the questionnaire. They have no symptoms. So, again, we're constantly knocking down the risk. But of the 2 million people, and it's over 2 million people now that have traveled through the Safe Travels program, 89% have successfully been pre-tested and been negative for COVID before coming in. So that's a very, you know, major advantage to protect us. Our case counts are utterly low compared to other states. We've now for the last three months been the lowest in the country. We're just so accustomed to having tiny numbers that anytime you see a slightly higher number, it gets people a little bit nervous. I mean, it's really low and we have not seen you know, a problem with our hospital capacity or our healthcare system in general. So, you know, this seven day average is still low. It's 76.7 people. I think as long as people realize that 
keeping their risk down, especially until they've received both shots, that's the right way to go. Okay. Lieutenant Governor, I wanted to ask you about the numbers that are going up on the continental U.S. Do you feel that that's going to affect us in any way? It's, um, it will affect us if we don't get our vaccination plan completed. If we do what we're supposed to do, which is to get to a million shots by uh, May 1st and probably about 1.35 million shots by June 1st, it will not affect us significantly because we will have more than enough protection to deal with whatever comes. We won't see outbreaks. What happens at the end of crises is people start feeling a little more relaxed and then they wake up and say, oh, my goodness, it was really terrible, or we don't want to head there. And you're seeing that reaction right now. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, just a quick follow-up, and this is regarding the continental U.S. and the spikes that have been happening. Do you, uh, from the numbers that you're seeing, are you, do you see something that's uh, that's contributing to that? Is there a reason why those numbers are going up? Because they're getting vaccinated like we're getting vaccinated. Uh, they are. They're also letting their guard down some, and some states open prematurely, plus the variants are of concern. Now, the variants... Uh, do respond. I mean, they are blocked by the vaccines, but it's not at 100 percent. And, you know, the, the rank and file people that caught the earlier or were exposed to the early COVID strains and then got a Pfizer shot or a Moderna shot were utterly protected. But as variants change, it won't be quite as successful. We're still going to see effective rates in the 70s, 80s or low 90s to prevent these um, these variants from spreading. But the U.K. variant is pretty virulent, which means it spreads a lot. And the Brazilian spread has been terrible. So these things, when they break out in different regions of the world, yeah, it's a problem. Now, overall, we had been trending down for a few weeks on the mainland. So I'd have to go back and look and see exactly what we're facing. But with the president's goal of getting you know, everything open for vaccinations by May 1st, it bodes awfully well for us. I know that these next five weeks will seem like they last an eternity, but from now until five weeks from now, we're going to do 350,000 shots. And in our little state, that is just a, you know, that's a ton of extra protection, no matter what the mainland throws at us with their extra cases. So I'm not encouraging them to throw virus at us, but we will keep safe travels in place. We will eventually get our, our plan together for a uh, vaccination passport, which is, in my mind, kind of the uh, holy grail of protection. And that's all there really is. Thank you very much, Lieutenant Governor. Uh, Wanted to just follow up a little bit about the vaccines. Um, Last time we talked with you, Lieutenant Governor, we were talking about the ethnic gap, though, you know, among uh, with Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders and getting vaccinations uh, at a far lower rate than than other ethnic groups. What has the state done between the last time we talked and now to try to close that gap a little bit? Uh, so we actually are doing pods. We went out and vaccinated a couple hundred people. I think it was two days ago. Uh, I tell you, my legs are still aching from squatting and standing like hundreds of times doing it. It was great, great <laughs> feeling to know that that was the that was a small consequence of vaccinating hundreds of people. And then we're doing a 500 person pod again on Saturday. And so people understand why uh, the non-Hawaiian Pacific Islander community. And when I say that, I'm talking about like a large group of individuals that are Samoan, um, uh, Micronesian, and so on. Uh, When we talk about that population, they have represented about 4% of our state's population, but they had 31% of all the cases. So if you don't do something there, then not only do those wonderful people suffer, 
they will spread it and they'll spread it widely. And also they have other health consequences that are bad. They'll end up in the hospital in large numbers. So we are vaccinating. This will be about a thousand people by the time we're done with this initial effort. And we're doing it in other places across the state. So this targeted vaccination of high risk groups goes along with the vaccination, which is somewhat targeted of our kupuna and of course the lowering of age gradually. And that I'm trying to explain is the method to our madness. It's protect those who are most vulnerable, which is elderly people, protect those who could spread it the most or who have spread it the most, which in some cases is the non-Hawaiian Pacific Islander community, especially if they're living in like um, major multi-generational houses. Mm -hmm. And then finally, vaccinate the people that are seeing extra tourists so that they don't catch it or spread it. And that's like hotel workers, restaurant workers. We're putting up basically a shield against a significant burst of COVID. Now, could we have just done age categories and kind of dumbed it down? Of course. But then what would have happened is you would have seen big pockets of outbreaks and we would be trying to explain that. So the extra work is worth it. The people um, of these ethnicities um, were more vulnerable. They've ranked the states now. I believe when they looked at efficiency, we were fourth. And they, they looked at uh, overall vaccination based on percent of population. I think we were eighth. I'll take that, you know. And we have some extra complications. We have multiple islands, multiple counties, and we have the most ethnically diverse population in America, not even close. And so there are historic ethnic variabilities and there are health disparities, which people have heard us talk about before, which nobody else has. We, we have, you know, three or four major different um, demographics, each with slightly different risks. And mm -hmm. so that's what Dr. Char and I are trying to work on constantly. Uh, before we stray too far from vaccines, I wanted to ask you if you could update uh, for our listeners the schedule. When will it go to 55 and up and 45 and up? But the question was now with construction, communications, banking and finance supposedly being the next group to get the call. When will that happen as well? So kind of like what is the calendar? So it looks to me like those extra categories are next week. They're starting to reach okay. out to those individuals. And so that's, you know, good. Again, higher risk pockets of potential spread. I believe we will spend two weeks at the 60 plus, and then it's very likely we'll go down to 50 plus. Uh, the, you know, the, the prerogative is with the director of health, who is really terrific. She may choose to go one week and then go 55, and then another week and go 50. But she has given me uh, her assurance that our goal is to get to May 1st and to open it up per what President Biden has asked us for the whole state. And so we're we're basically, you know, we're targeting that date for everybody. And we're still giving some additional opportunity to people in the semi-older categories. I can't even with a straight face say Kupuna anymore because all Kupuna have, have been offered the chance and we will keep doing that. But now people who are 60 to 65 are often full tilt primetime workers, of course. And I'm excited to see them get vaccinated this coming week, starting Monday. Our doc, in this case, Dr. Char, she is using a scalpel approach, and there's a benefit to that. That means people have not had long waits. They haven't had large confusions at centers, which they saw all over the country. And we're only a couple weeks away from being wide open. A lot of it has to do with having enough vaccine. As of this moment, we've received 748,070 doses, 748 and 70, okay? Mm -hmm. And as of this moment, we've given a 
500 and probably about 78,000 shots. So those other 170,000 doses, some of which have just arrived in the last like 24 hours, are being scheduled as we speak. So we are going ahead and we're scheduling people's second dose and we're preparing a big surge of the Johnson & Johnson, which is going to be a, a major blessing. So I'm, I'm really grateful that people are paying so much close attention to it. But if they take a deep breath and continue to wear their mask, come early May, we're not really going to have many problems to talk about. When we look back on it, it will have been the largest public health initiative in our history and, of course, the greatest health risk in our history because what COVID did. So I appreciate people's patience. I really mm-hmm. do. All right. Thank you very much, Lieutenant Governor. Appreciate it. Hey, um, I got a text from my brother-in-law <laughs> with a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to know uh, why the Pfizer vaccine seems to be more popular than the Moderna. Well, it came first, okay? Anybody who comes first usually gets a little bit of extra oomph. It's just marketing. And also, it's only three weeks in between the shots rather than four weeks. So it's a little bit more efficient. Uh, But honestly, they are so similar. Anyone making a significant distinction is wasting their time. So it's just that. Also, Moderna is not a long-known brand. Pfizer is. These are some deep-seated marketing things that just exist in people's minds. Now, the Johnson & Johnson is a different beast. It will ultimately be the most popular shot, no matter what, because of a couple of phenomena. One, Johnson & Johnson is the largest healthcare uh, pharmaceutical company in the world, so they're going to also advertise a lot. And it shouldn't be based on advertising. It should be based on effectiveness and usefulness, but also because it's just one and done, and you actually have a, a completed experience on the spot, that's very American, you know? Who wins the Super Bowl? Over. Celebrate. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who got their shot? Over. Celebrate. When you've got to deal with a, a process, coming back, follow-up, it's a little bit of humbug. So these are different phenomena. Now, I think all three shots are excellent. And I, ultimately, I'm fairly certain, fairly certain, I haven't made up my mind finally yet, that the AstraZeneca shot will, in a couple of weeks, also be approved and safe, and it will be yet another you know, tool in our tool belt to get to the to finish line. Um, they, of course, are going through a little bit of extra research and study because, number one, they had to deal with that, that question about whether there were extra blood clots that, that mm-hmm. occurred. Apparently, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, apparently they are saying now that that was not a big issue. But, you know, anytime you raise an issue in a, in a time of stress, it's not going to be just kind of blown off. Right. And then also uh, their data was a, a little bit off. At first they said it was 79 percent. Then they said it was 76 percent. Again, we're kind of, you know, these are very fine points. At 76%, that would be more successful, I believe, than any flu shot was in the history of mankind. So, you know, I think all of these shots merit use, but I'm glad that there are good scientific teams that are going over it three, four, and five times. Okay. Um, A friend of mine said a pharmacist told her that there may be a second shot for Johnson & Johnson in May. Is there any truth to that? They're looking at boosters. They're trying to assess whether or not that's going to be necessary. And so I know that they're studying that. Whether or not that they have to um, bring a new, you know, a totally new protocol to us, I just don't know yet. I have not heard. Uh, I would be surprised if that's their strategy. But, you know, they're looking at all of the variants and they're making sure that they're getting adequate effectiveness against both the main strains and the variants. And... You know, I'm going to just follow the science. If they say that it's it's added benefit, people will get to choose whether or not they want to go get the second shot. 
remember, one of the big benefits of getting the vaccination is not just avoiding the disease entirely. It's that people are having very, very mild symptoms or mild illness if they've received a shot and have developed some initial immune response. So we'll see if, you know, if a second shot tells you that you get to 95 percent like the others, a lot of people will want it. But I have a feeling we're going to finish off our vaccination program for the rest of the state first, that we're not going to suddenly jump into a whole lot of second shots uh, on the Johnson Johnson. Mm, You know, we're trying to be fair to people who have gotten recently added to the list. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, one of our listeners, this is a uh, listener, Karen. She's asking, why is it that vaccinations will be opening up for those 60 and older, yet those in categories uh, in 1C are still on hold, for example, construction and banking industries? She's not understanding how, how the age requirement is moving forward, but essential workers are still kind of mostly on, on a standstill. They're working on both is all I can really say. I, I do think that, I, I mean, I have heard, that we're only about a week out from them being able to open up some more of those 1C categories. Uh, What people should remember is these things are being done in parallel. They're not being done uh, one and then you have to finish it and then you go to the other. So it is going in parallel. It's just a ton of work to set up those pods. And to do, say, certain industries, we have to receive the emails. They have to go, you know, the teams have to go through them to find out how many people they set up with how many emails and so on and then let them go it is happening i mean there there has been progress since we talked last week on lots and lots of hotels in the you know in the hospitality industry and lots of restaurants getting done and so on it's just a parallel process and so what will happen will be uh the construction industry and the hospitality industry and so on they will go in in april in the earlier part of april before we get to phase two which is everybody but they just won't have gone a lot before. Mm. And some of that's a reflection of how many shots we have. I mean, we, we don't have that many extra vaccines. And the one group that's really, and I, I take this to heart, that's, that's concerned is individuals with chronic disease that are between 16 and 64. We wanted to do those guys in an expedited fashion, and we simply didn't receive enough vaccine from the federal government to go all in. So what we were able to do was do people that had, vaccinate people that had the highest risk which was, you know, oxygen-dependence dialysis or on chemotherapy from cancer. So, you know, that group we did get expedited. And, of course, now everyone who's over 60 who might have a chronic disease is getting it. Remember, the age categories really closely approximate chronic disease. You don't Mm. start getting diseases until you reach Devin's age, right? So that is wow. Somebody just had a birthday, you know. I'm just saying. Zing. Zing. Somebody just had a birthday, by the way. Just just saying. Just saying. Uh, Yeah, she's like 16. Right, see? Oh my gosh. But uh, yeah, but that's that's the approach. And I I know I you know, I would have loved to receive three hundred thousand extra doses and set up another four large uh, pods you know, a couple on each of the neighbor islands and an extra one, a a third or even a fourth one on Oahu. Of course we would do that. It's just we've still been getting somewhere between 68,000 and maybe 85,000 doses, depending on how much extra come in for the federal program. We have not suddenly got 150,000 doses in. If the Johnson Johnson uh, ramps up like we expect in early April, we could get a lot more vaccines and we will pump those things out like crazy. And then it'll be easy. But at this point, it looks to me like we will, like I said earlier, we, you know, we went to age 60 starting Monday. Two weeks later, 
I hope that we drop that down to age 50 and continue to do the other, you know, and we continue to do some of the other um, groups in 1C. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we just open it up. And by the way, if you're in those industries and you receive calls, yes, we expect you to sign up best you can. There's all sorts of ways that we can communicate to our pharmacies and just everybody, including your show. But it's, uh, it's getting close to the point where we'll be wide open. We're probably like uh, 35 days from being able to open the whole state. And that's not very long from now. Mm, okay. Some people have posted on social media, why should I get an immunization if I'm going to catch COVID anyway with a vaccine? Can you address that? That's a very good point. So the most important reason by far is that people who have been vaccinated are getting way, way, way less severe cases, way less severe cases. If you don't get a vaccine and you're 50 years old, you could die. I mean, I had a 51-year-old friend die of COVID. Had he had a vaccine back in uh, April, Mm. May, when this happened to him, he would have had a modest case and would not have died. And that breaks my heart to know that he could have been saved if we had had the vaccine. So getting a vaccine will protect you from severe illness. That's the number one thing. And two, take those reports with a grain of salt. Remember, if you tested positive for COVID, uh, what is this? This is now March. Let's say you tested in January after the surge. We had extra cases and you were positive for COVID. And then you got vaccinated last month. If you took the test again, you probably tested positive from your earlier case. You probably did not have active COVID now. Mm. And I think too much is being made of those stories because they are not, they're not, um, in my opinion, uh, sifting through each and every case to be able to discern, discern whether or not someone had COVID earlier. It's hard. So keep that in mind. But we are seeing fewer fatalities and we're seeing far less serious cases, fewer people in the ICU. And that's the real reason. And so I am a strong proponent of getting vaccinated no matter what. And also another main point that General Hara likes to make and I like to share is that if you get vaccinated and your your business and your family and your clan, we will get to herd immunity much faster and everyone will benefit. If several hundred thousand people choose not to because of this concern or this phenomenon, we won't get to full safety and we'll, this, the COVID crisis will last months and months longer. So we will not be able to open up as fully. We won't be able to have weddings as easily. We won't be able to have concerts. We won't be able to get rid of the mask mandate. All of those things are are contingent on us getting to herd immunity. So it's important as a society we're all together unless you just don't believe in it. You know, I mean, if people have a strong philosophical opposition, then I'm going to respect them. I'm not going to agree with them, but I'm going to respect them. And so that's the only reason not to get it if you truly don't believe in vaccines but vaccines do work that's the reason to to get the shot and you know don't don't fall for the oh there's some minor chance that doesn't protect me therefore i'm not doing it it does protect most people mm-hmm. okay thank you very much for thank you. Going. i appreciate it um my friend is texting me uh, she lives in iowa and she sent me a video out of the blue about a live mask test shocks viewers and it's a guy with like a uh, an oxygen reader or whatever or a, mm-hmm. right a carbon monoxide reader or whatever the heck it's called and he's got a mask on a kid and he's measuring the kids uh levels of co2 and he's noting that it's really large and so i got kind of upset because i was like why are you 
sending this around and telling people not to wear masks, essentially. And her thing was mm-hmm. uh, more for the kids. She said, uh, medical professionals aren't exercising in masks, but I see kids being made to wear it on the playground. Where's the science to support mask wearing? And I was like, what? Uh, she said, it's a one-sided conversation. And that well, fact it's a one-sided should... conversation by people who can think. I mean, maybe. <laughs> it's just, you know, the idea that you wouldn't wear a mask to, you know, kids, kids are doing fine. We, I don't expect them, if they're doing heavy, rigorous exercise, to be wearing masks. That's not necessary, um, as long as they're not in close proximity to others. But, you know, we know that masks decrease the transmission of droplet-borne disease. They just do. And I understand that some people are just upset out there in the universe. Mm. But that doesn't mean we should spread a, a very risky and serious disease. It's interesting. Remember, about 3% of the population, and that's a lot of people across the globe, are absolutely out of their minds. And they, <laughs> they will do anything to argue with you at all times. It's, um, it's, it's noted, and if some kid does have a severe lung problem, like asthma or, or an older person has COPD, of course, we don't expect them to wear a mask. But I guess what I would um, leave with you is, it's great to be the best state in the country, but you can slip real fast if we stop wearing masks so we mm-hmm. don't commit ourselves to the vaccination process. So I'm really grateful to the people of Hawaii for taking this so seriously. Um, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about a little bit more about that passport, the vaccine passport. The question that I hear over and over when people talk about the vaccine passport concept online is they go, how are you going to prove you have a vaccine for real? Couldn't the cards just be faked, you know, forged? Right. Um, how are the government entities going to keep track of who is for real vaccinated and who is not? So let me break it down for you, okay? So yes. Here we go. Number one, the card is reliable. Two, you also want to take your card back to your healthcare provider, your primary care physician, so that they know that you've been vaccinated and they have a good record. Three, that card may very well be your vaccine passport over time, depending on the tech. Uh, the VAM system, which is the vaccine management system, which all the states are using, and some better than others, does keep track of it. And then they put that data into their vaccination database. Every state also has that. So there's lots of redundancy. Now, the idea of getting a vaccination passport into an app is exactly the challenge that some of the listeners have expressed, which Mm -hmm. is it's a little difficult to go and access these very different systems and pull out that data and, and convert it into a QR code. It's not quite as simple or as streamlined as we might hope. So in my opinion, I think we can accept the risk that if people decide they're going to try to cheat the system and create a fake vaccine card, either we will catch it or the threat that they're going to face up to a $5,000 fine and a year in jail for violating our, our quarantine provisions will usually prevent people. Now, it wouldn't prevent everybody but we still will have multiple layers of security and safety, and it's frankly quite good. I mean, you can tell these cards. I've, I've handed out hundreds of cards myself as I've vaccinated people. The cards are pretty legit. Now, if somebody goes to great lengths because they want to have a vacation in Hawaii to falsify their vaccination standard, they are probably nuts. And I don't know what we're going to do to protect ourselves from somebody that's that, you know, that desires to come and travel and break rules that badly. It's just not very likely. But overall, 
the bigger benefit is we will ourselves know how many people we have vaccinated. I would personally go old school and at least set a date and rely on the card. Mm-hmm. And then if the tech, you know, gets added to it, great. But, you know, I can usually I can usually see through someone trying to get around the rules from a mile away. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would expect that, um, like we all know, we're in a social contract with one another. Some people will behave badly. Most people are really caring about those that they're around. Most people. Mm-hmm. And that's why Hawaii has done better than any other state. But we will be able to have our own vaccination passports pretty easily because we have our own system and we'll be able to, you know, operationalize that. Whether the mainland catches up to us, I'm not so sure. Okay, well, we look forward to hearing the updates and uh, I'm sure that's going to be a game changer. We got to say mahalo again to the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Great to hear your voices. See you next week. Aloha.